You are listening to the MythMaker Podcast Network. Oh, I didn't tell you uh, what the edition was. The, um, the translators, uh, two curious names, are Mustard and Passage. And it's uh, Wolfram von Eschenbach's Parsifal. Now, this is the Parsifal, of course, that Wagner used, but he turned it topsy-turvy. That's to say, he turns Parsifal in that uh, opera into an ascetic, a, a person who rejects the female principle, whereas this isn't it at all. Also, the people who carry the grail in, in Wolfram's work are the grail maidens. Uh, they are not a, a group of um, knights as they are in Wagner. And the point is this, that these grail maidens were expected to be and had to be virginal. That is to say, their character was identical with their role. Uh, whereas the clergy in the Middle Ages, as uh, Innocent III himself said, uh, was misbehaving very badly. But uh, you had St. Augustine's formula that the sacraments are incorruptible, so it didn't matter how the clergy behaved, you see. Uh, the point of Wolfram is that um, it does matter, that uh, the validity of a right depends on the moral quality of the people performing it. Uh, uh, a simply formal right is wasteland stuff again. So that the wasteland life is the life lived according to what people said you should do. And that's uh, T.S. Eliot's sense for it also. Where is the thunderclap, the voice of God to be heard? It's to be heard in the one who realizes that he's got to crack off from this, find it in himself, but come back. The idea is not to stay out because then you've removed from the world the boom of the spiritual principle, which you are supposed to imagine yourself to have found. Uh, people are very, very much alike. But um, we do have the experience of falling in love with this person and not with that one. Isn't that true? Uh, that's the signal that, in a certain sense, your relation to them is not the same as your relation to everybody else or everybody else's relation to them. There is a personal life that takes place within these forms. And the way to experience the great norms is to experience them through living your own life. Whereas you, if you do just what the society dictates to you to do, you will not have the same dimension of experience. Now, there is a difference between a person and one meets it in the academies, in the colleges, in the, everywhere you know. The person who has done the thing he had to do in the formal way that he had to do it and has got all the prizes and has all the high positions, this is an inevitable thing. That person is not the same as the one who risked the maverick adventure and lived his own way. They're two different orders. Um, now, what I'm speaking for is the individual quest, the individual way. There are many people who are not discommoded by the requirements of the society. They take to it nicely. There are some people who have certain talents that are exactly what the world today wants. They will not be damaged by going through that way. There are others who find this thing extremely difficult to uh, <coughs> accept, and if they don't have the courage to go through with their own adventure, they're going to be uh, mutilated people. 
And I speak from rather an ex experience because I've been teaching now for about 37 years. And I, I know the people whom I have taught who did and who didn't. And the lives are conspicuously different at the other end of the, of the line. That's all. Uh, that's just my view. Now, with respect to Levi Strauss, uh, see, he, his principal material comes from non-literate people. And in a small non-literate society, it is so homogeneous that the likeness of people is very much greater than it is in our world here. This is, a, is another situation today from that of a Brazilian tribe. Um, also, in, in societies where people are doing practically the same thing all the time, you get a pretty much the same character built in, built in, built in, but you lack what we call character, individuality, and personality. You get a world of stuffed shirts. Um, what um, Jung describes as the persona, the mask, that society asks you to put on. If you put it on, you will become a mask, and there's no personality there. The, the fantastic thing that comes out when one has worked on oriental material for a long time and then turns back to the West again. Uh, in the Orient, one is expected to be the role, to identify himself with the role he is to play. The a uh, wife becomes a wife when she throws herself on her husband's funeral pyre and has been a wife, has lived that role to the very end. The word is sati, from the uh, verb sat, to be something. She is a wife because she has performed her role. And when you read Jung's uh, uh, Psychology of Individuation, his point is that you must dissociate yourself from the role and play the role, not be it. It's like a kid in high school who's played Hamlet, and he's Hamlet for the rest of the school year. He identifies himself with the mask and has lost his personality. The personality is something else again. It's a treasure, and it's the rare thing. That's my view on this matter. I've become more and more aware of uh, groups of people, and they're usually people a little along in life, who are, uh, find themselves helping each other to find themselves. Um, these little meditation centers that are growing up all over the country, uh, this is not just a fad. This is something that, I mean, the way this thing caught on is like prairie fire. Uh, people need it, want it. Now, a lot of it doesn't get very far. Uh, you know, it's awfully easy to begin a spiritual life and then drop it the next weekend uh, because there's a golf game coming up or something like that. Uh, but uh, people know that they need it and are moving toward it, and there are some that are going through and through. And in, I must say that in my own personal experience of, of people on the intellectual level that uh, is concerned with these problems, I'm not pessimistic at all. I think people are really, really richly endowed in this country and are uh, richly favored with opportunities to develop themselves and in general are doing so. There are a lot of people, of course, that get stuck, and those are the ones people like to point to. But every American I know who's ever gone everywhere has had people say to him, oh, you're not like an American. You know what I mean? Uh, the, uh, the notion of a cliché that has been publicized and that our mass media and the world outside is throwing at us 
That's not what I meet when I go around. I, I find people working things through. And now in the schools, the interest in the creative arts, I think this is the best medium of all. Because um, if you don't have an experience, no matter what you've learned in the way of technique, your artwork's no good. And you know it, and everybody knows it. Then you, you, this is a kind of signal of whether you're really living the truth of your life. The goal is to lead, lead an earned, authentic life, it seems to me. That means a life such as never was on land or sea. In uh, the great Cuesta del Saint Graal, <coughs> which comes out around 1230 or so, written by a Cistercian, so it's very monastic in its quality, there is a line that hit me like a bullet when I read it, and I said, this is Europe. Um, the knights were assembled in a baronal hall very much like this. And uh, Arthur had a uh, custom, namely that he wouldn't let the meal begin until an adventure had occurred. Well, we don't have those adventures uh, occurring these days, so we eat the meal first, then hope. The, uh, what happened here was the grail appeared, covered with a cloth, and then disappeared. Everybody was enchanted. And Sir Gawain, who was the nephew of Arthur, stood up and he said, I propose a quest. I propose that we all set forth tomorrow to find that grail, each to find it unveiled. And now comes the word in the text that struck me. They thought it would be a disgrace to set forth in a group. Each entered the forest at that point which he himself had chosen, where it was darkest and there was no way or path. Because where there's a way or path, it's someone else's way. And this is the key to this curious romantic yearning of the Western romantic literature. One is yearning for the fulfillment of something that was never seen or could have been seen on land or sea, namely the fulfillment and realization of that intelligible personality and character, which is the seed for a life that is your lived, earned life. And so those knights did go forth. And whenever any one of them in the forest came upon the track of another and thought, oh, he's probably getting there better than I, and starts following that, he goes astray totally. Now, this is exactly the contrary to the Oriental guru idea, where the guru assumes responsibility for your moral life. He expects and gets absolute obedience and faith. Many of my professor friends tell me students today want gurus, not, not teachers. I answer, no, they think they do, but they don't have the first virtue of the student worthy of a guru, namely shraddha, perfect faith in the instructor. All they'll do is tell you. So uh, that's a better attitude, I think, for people today. But I think that grail thing is it, a gem. It's, it's the story. <clears throat> Not all of our uh, attitudes are based on European, Greco-European ideas. Uh, we have in inherited Christianity and Judaism, which are Levantine religions, group-oriented, where salvation or relationship to God is a function of the membership in a society. And a person who has been brought up to think 
that his identity is a function of his membership in a certain group, that his spiritual ground of being is a function of his ethnic origin, is one who is not going to be able to find himself alone. Now, when I'm, when I'm speaking of the solitary life, I'm speaking, I mean, the unique life, I'm speaking of people in, brought up in a basically European tradition. When people are not, they have other problems. That's why I said I was going to talk about Europe. Now, it simply is a fact that this commune thing is very largely inspired by the Israeli, Israeli kibbutz idea. At least they are in my part of this country. And I've taught, I'd say more than 50% of my students have been Jewish girls. And they have a totally different attitude toward this group problem from the basically European uh, race groups. It has not to do with race, it has to do with the culture heritage, but a person who is taught, you are Israel, you are Israel. I've had girls sit in the chair as close to me as that and say, Mr. Campbell, if I didn't think of myself as a Jew, I wouldn't know my identity. Well, I said, well, Deborah, or whatever her name is, uh, how would you like it if I were to say, if I didn't think of myself as Irish, I wouldn't know my identity. So it'd be ridiculous. So these are totally different points of view. Now, I think this is a very important movement. I think that the problem of the Jewish uh, community is in, a, in an acute state right now, very acute state, largely because of the Hitler and then Israel thing. Um, the, there is a crisis in Judaism, there's a crisis in Christianity. They're not the same. Now, it's another thing to go briefly for a weekend or for a couple of months with a group of people whom you're going to associate with to get certain ideas from them, to join a meditation group or something like that. That's different from cutting off from this industrial society with its wonderful spirituality of the European consciousness, condemn it as simply a mechanical uh, abomination, and then go off in a kibbutz. That's a totally different thing. And for me, it's not the answer for, that I'm talking about. So that's all I can say to that. I think it's another line. I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm saying it's totally different from what I regard as the... Uh, problem of Western man. I'm thinking that uh, the community is receiving a great deal of attention these days. And I think the individual is receiving very little. And this is just my impression. Uh, when, I, uh, when I know and see all that is being done to try to <clears throat> smooth out the community situation, um, I don't feel such anxiety there. Uh, I mean, in my day, which has been a pretty long day, the changes have been prodigious and terribly fast in these communal relationships. And um, the collisions between peoples of totally different character, totally different backgrounds are striking. And when one's in the midst of it, that it looks as though it were a pretty bad affair. But actually, uh, in the big statistical uh, view, it just seems to me the thing is smoothing out so fast you can hardly believe it. Uh, but what I'm talking about is the problem of the individual life in this context. L finding your own individual life does not mean you are opposed to the society. It, it shouldn't. It can't.
because that means you're hanging on to your little ego. This is why I spoke of the thou, the mitlai, the recognition of one's uh, fellowship and identity, more than fellowship, with that person over there. And the further away the person is in background, in race, in religion or anything else, the, the greater the uh, challenge to recognize one's identity there. On the other hand, this does not mean that one just has to back down and um, not strike back. Uh, another of the great words in Wolfram, where these two knights are fighting, they happen to be half-brothers, and they don't recognize each other. He says, if one wished, one could say that two men were fighting. Actually, it is one. They are the sons of one father, each doing the other much harm out of loyalty and nobility of heart. So there is a nobility in standing up for what you stand for, whether it's on the social or the other side, but realizing the person you're standing against is not a demon. He's a person with his integrities and consciousness also. And to recognize this is the wonderful thing. In, in battle, this is the mysticism of war, that the person on the other side is the other side. And life, as Heraclitus said, is an expression of tension. War is the creator of all great things, is his word. And this tension between powers that are fighting, we've been taught now, oh, feel terrible about it. Not at all. It's just out of that struggle, out of that difficulty, out of that contention that the new thing comes forth. Uh, it's a very complicated problem, this of the individual standing for something and that group standing for something. And in the battle itself, there is the will to love. Jesus' word, love thy neighbor. You have heard you should love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, I say, love your enemy. He didn't say, don't have enemies. He said, love your enemy. And uh, certainly in the social field, that is the field of contention. One should play one's part with all willingness and all uh, force with the recognition that as things go, maybe you'll lose, maybe you'll win. When I read, uh, you know what people are doing. They're reading the columnists in the newspapers, and then they read uh, the Buddha. Uh, and they say how spiritual the Orient and how material the Occident. Well, uh, read a bit of Goethe, read a bit of Nietzsche, read a bit of Thomas Mann, read a bit of Joyce, and you'll find that the individual is a magnificent, terrific thing. And it doesn't involve hatred of people. It doesn't involve being a brute. Also, just look around uh, our individuals. Here we are in the Blaisdell Institute. Half the libraries in the United States are founded by old man Carnegie. Look at the Ford Foundation. The money that is poured out over the planet from the great individuals of America is greater than you can imagine. Why don't we talk about it? That's my feeling. There's a lot has come out of this, and it's not something to be repudiated. And uh, you, you go a long way before you, you find its match. Every time you get a feeling that the whole thing's loosening up, <clears throat> then I was mentioning it earlier, I have plenty of occasions to meet with clergymen. They won't give up. Um, <clears throat> you, you, you find... Uh, this, this, this thing, here, here, here's a 
very nice humanistic Jesuit and a lovely, loving rabbi and a Protestant minister of equal elegance. And each knows that the others are Gentiles, you know, that they have the word and that those others are secondary to themselves somehow. And they're playing they're playing a game of ecumenical accord, each knowing that uh, we've got it in the corner here. Now, and the funny thing is how impervious the mind of a religiously oriented person is to facts. Uh, this, uh, this goes for sociologists also. The, uh, the, uh, this conviction is able to go beating through and one fact after another, come in, come in, and oh, that one doesn't count. That's a statistical, or we know how to reckon that, you know. No, um, on certain, in certain contexts, one has a feeling the religious life is totally transformed, you know. It is now man, and all these old things are all gone. I remember hearing a little girl say to her father, why do all the churches have plus signs on top? I thought, well, <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> then you read statistics. How many people believe in God? Uh, the, one of these big, uh, you know, t taking uh, polls people did this thing. It was the most astonishing thing. In the United States, 94% believed in God. 94%. So in, uh, in France... It was somebody, 35% believed in God, but 50% believed in hell. I mean, but, you know, the, uh, I don't know what you can say to that question, really. I, I think that um, things are cooking in the way of this whole meditation movement, uh, but maybe that's just uh, going to blow away, too. I don't think so, but uh, we'll just have to watch. The very first uh, part of my talk I spoke of this problem of not projecting aggression out onto the, an outer society, because there is no outer society, and that the psychological problem now exists of uh, quelling aggression through love. But I don't think you can get rid of aggression. In fact, it would be a disaster to get rid of aggression, because that's what makes a person live and move and attack things. The question is, what's he going to aggress? Uh, it's, uh, I've seen aggression wiped out, and uh, it's, it's not a good thing to see. Not a good thing to see. It's uh, one of the elements of man, and nature is what we've got. And it's, uh, as I said in the beginning, life is monstrous, and it includes these things. And one, one has to civilize it, domesticate it, but not eradicate it. I'm, I'm, I'm not a... I'm, I'm not made happy by all this anti-aggression talk that I, I hear. Wait till the war comes along that people want, then you'll all be back again in good strength.